Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our associate and student pastor, Matt Willingham. Welcome all of you watching online in your living rooms and those of you joining at our other locations at North Judson, at at uh, Wanatah, at MPH, at Westville, at our Full Throttle Campus in Hebron. Come on, can you put your hands together? Come on, let them know you're awake. Let them know you're here. Let them know you are excited. I want you to take your Bibles out this morning to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32 is where we're going this morning as we continue our series on questions God asked. Right here the last Sunday in February. Sunny outside. I think it's supposed to be like 50 today. My Lord. Sectional start this week. Man, it's an exciting time in northwest Indiana. And uh, so it's going to be a good, going to be a good, good day today. I'm glad that you're here. We've been in a series all month and been on a series all year so far. Just questions God asks. We've been looking at some different questions, right? We all ask questions to God. We all have things that we want of him, right? Ask of him. But he has questions for us as well. We've been looking at those over these last few weeks. And this morning, we're going to look at a question that we find in Genesis chapter 32. If you got your Bibles, you got your worship guide. Maybe you got a smartphone, you, you don't have a Bible, download version, right? Put it on your tablet. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 through 27 is what we're going to read this morning. It says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons... And crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possession. So Jacob was left alone. Everybody say alone. alone. And wrestled with, uh, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched, and uh, his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, "Let me go, for it is daybreak." But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then the man asked him, what is your name? That's the question. I want you to underline that in your Bibles this morning. Underline that in your worship, God. That's what we're looking at. What is your name? And he answered, Jacob. Can we pray one more time? God, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your grace and mercy in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that is here this morning. God, at every location. God, right there in the living room as we're watching. And God, I just pray that you will just open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to what it is you have to say to us today. God, let us leave different than how we walked in, than how we were when we clicked online to watch. God, challenge and change every one of us in this place today. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, everybody. Say amen. 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 Hey, just for the sake of conversation, even though you might know them or maybe you don't know them, turn to the person right next to you and say, what is your name? And, and have, have them answer. Come on, tell, ask them, what is, what is your name? Ask them. If you don't know them, get their name. What is your name? Lily, did you ask someone what is their name? Did you ask Lily? Okay. What is your name? On the count of three, shout your name out to me. Ready? One, two, three. Love it. I, I met all of you in one time. That's beautiful. We have not met. What is your name? Today we're going to look at that question, and uh, names are important, right? And it's more than just being polite and calling a person by their name. Like, names carry significance. Um, have you ever, but have you, have you 
Have you ever met someone and they introduced themselves and just by their name alone, you didn't like them because they reminded you of somebody else? Like they had the same name, right, as someone else that you've met before. And as soon as they said, hey, hello, my name is Matt, you're like, oh, snap, I knew a Matt that I hated one time and now I hate you. Like, come on, it happens, right? Names are important. Uh, people take over names. Matter of fact, uh, don't be ashamed. Is there, any, is, is there a woman here today? Uh, is your name Karen? Any Karens in the house? Raise your hand. Is there a Karen here? Anybody by the name? Nobody wants to claim that name. Why? Right? Come on. We know the culture we live in. Right? Don't be a Karen. Right? And really what's so crazy, like when you look at Karen and the name of what it means, it actually means pure of heart. That's what the name Karen means, a beautiful definition. But our culture today has hijacked that name, right? Karen to mean someone who sticks her nose in business, right, that shouldn't. Uh, and so now sometimes people are ashamed to even. I don't know. Is there a male equivalent of the name Karen? What would that be? Would it be Kevin? Kevin is what you said. Craig? Somebody told me that knows me really well. They said that it should be Matthew. And I was like, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. It should not be Matthew. I am not. Names are important. And because with our name comes a reputation, right? Comes a, a response that uh, good or bad. I tell my boys all the time, my boys now fifth grade and seventh grade and, and a sophomore in high school, I tell them, man, listen, all you have is your name. And the moment you ruin your name, the moment your reputation gets tarnished, when they hear the word Mason, when they hear the word Jeremiah, when teachers, right, they get the role for the beginning of the year and they see Trey Willingham, like what, do, what does that kind of name uh, correspond with what emotion? And so our names are important. And today we choose names, right? We choose baby names just kind of based upon like what's popular or, or kind of like what's cool. And, and a lot of times we end up looking for names that are different, right? Y'all, anybody remember the baby search name, right, that you did? I remember, right, going through it. Maybe you're expecting a child. And you're like, I'm going through it right now. I remember going through it with all three of my boys and feeling the weight of like, man, I want a namesake after my dad. I want a namesake after me. I want to namesake after my father-in-law, my grandpa's, it was all of this stuff, and, but I, it just got so overwhelming. My middle son, Jeremiah David, we just let the youth group vote. I was like, here's our options. You vote. What should we name him? You just go with it. And I think it fit him pretty well. I'm not joking either. My wife hated me for that, but we did. Legitimately, the youth group decided what, what the name was going to be. We had picked names that we all liked, and I said, but we said, you get to name I think it was a bet. Somehow they won a bet, and they won, and they got to name my second child. And never again did my wife let me do that again. But, but names are important, right? We look at baby names. I got a list of names. Maybe if you're struggling, right, maybe you're trying to help a family member come up with a baby, uh, some baby names. I got some baby names you should not use. Now, these are real baby names that people have used uh, in the past. One, uh, there was absolute, um, actually at one time, there was a boy name that was very, uh, very popular, and the name was Arson. Why they would name their son Arson is beyond me because you're just asking for him to burn a building down or to do something crazy. Uh, there was another name that I found that was popular several years ago, and the name was Bacardi, which sounds like a cool name, except for it's the name of an alcoholic drink, and uh, you're kind of just setting that kid up for success, right? And uh, so here, here's another name. Show me this one. This name right here, um, you pronounce the name. How do you pronounce that name? Erica, right? Absolutely. No, it's pronounced Erica. That's how you pronounce that name. It's Erica. They wanted to be different, wanted to spell it different. True story, um, according to some studies, in 2017, just several years ago, in 2017, there was 373 girls named by that right there, A, B, C, D, E. That's what they named their daughters. Talk about a lack of creativity. What should we name our kid? I don't know. Five letters in the alphabet. Just go with it. Um, 
There, there was another name I found, uh, Carry On. This was a boy name. Carry On sounds pretty cool, except for when you study out what, or when you look at what the definition of Carry On means, it actually means the decaying flesh of dead animals. That, my friend, is not a good uh, boy name. Uh, someone named their son, a couple, a couple boys was named this name, Felony. Why would you name your son between felony and arson? Like, that, that's two people that should never hang out. Here's another good one. Um, your Majesty, if you're looking for a formal name, go Your Majesty. If you're looking for like a formal, like elegant name, hey, Your Majesty, could you please come into the room? Um, I like that name. That's kind of cool. Uh, here's another one. They showed you that one, my lady, right? Pronounce it's M-I-L-A-D-Y, but pronounce my lady. Now listen, as a parent, I always, I don't know how you did. When I was naming my kids, I envisioned what it would feel like me yelling their name across the house. Nobody else did this, right? Like if I got to yell, Philip Mason, get in here right now. I'm like, ooh, that's a good. Or Mason, Philip, get in here right now. Like, that's a good, strong. Then Jeremiah, David, Trey Matthew, like I always envisioned. Or, or maybe to a little carnal-minded, like if they're playing a sport, like what does it sound like? Boom. You know, uh, Philip Ma- or Mason, Philip for the three. Trey Matthew, you know, for the hit. Like I always go through that. This is a name I would think, like you cannot, that's such a formal name. How do you yell like, my lady, please get in here right now. Like that's such a. I feel like it has to be more of like a my lady, would you please enter the room? Like it's just, it doesn't work right. Um, true story, last one, I'll give you one more. It's, it's a girl's name uh, that was popular several years ago and the name, it's a very emo name and the name was and is Misery. Now can you imagine naming your daughter Misery? I mean imagine her being 25 years old, she's met the love of her life and she's going to meet his parents and he walks in the room, he's like mom and dad, I would like you to meet the woman I wanna spend the rest of my life with Please uh, meet misery. And husbands could be like, no, really, that's, I could name my wife that. No, you could not name your wife misery. That is terrible. <laughs> names, right? In the Bible times, though, names were carefully chosen. And in the biblical times, names had a powerful meaning. It wasn't just something that was taken lightly. And I know oftentimes we, as we name our kids or growing up, you know, or as we had children, we would put thought into it. But names are very powerful. Remember, Matter of fact, Proverbs 22.1 says it like this, that a good name is more desirable than riches. It's to be esteemed. It's better than silver or gold. A powerful name is something that is, is, is desired. And, and I wonder for you and I, our, our, moments, our, our moments in our life this morning, again, maybe we've come in here and none of us are legally going to go change our name after this message today. But the title of my message is simply Before and After. And we're going to look at the story of Jacob, of what happened with his encounter with Jesus and what happened with his encounter with God. And my question for you to simply this morning, I want you to start thinking about it, is what in this moment that you are in, as you entered in today, as you're watching online, as you're at North Judson at Full Throttle, what would you name your life? What would you call the situation and the circumstances that you are in? If we're honest with ourselves, some of us would probably name our life stress right now because we're very stressed out. Some of us would name our life anxious. Some of us would name our life unforgiving because there's unforgiveness. Some of our life would, some of us would maybe name our life addiction. Some of us would name our life by different things that we are going through right now. And oftentimes, isn't that what we do? Oftentimes, we name it based off of what we see or what we feel or what we understand. Or we name our circumstances and our situations based off of what is going on in that moment. Man, today my life would be called uh, stress. My life would be called 
um, havoc. My life would be called a storm. My life would be named, you know, this, this, this doctor's report, whatever it may be. We find ourselves putting labels on ourselves, naming situations that we're facing. We find in the story of Genesis chapter 32, Jacob is in this crosshair. He's in this cross, his cross point, this, this kind of junction of his life. Genesis chapter 32 is probably what is described as it's a high point in the spiritual history of Jacob. This is kind of like if we was watching it on a movie screen, this is like the climax. This is like, boom, when it all happens, this is when it goes down. This is when it gets real. This is when it kind of, it all comes together. And for Jacob, it's this place of trial and decision. It's a place for Jacob in Genesis chapter 32 that I call a place of before and a place of after. If I could paint a little context, he's about to encounter his brother Esau. You've never read the story of Jacob and Esau and Jacob's life. You, you got to go back and read what's going on. He's about to meet his brother Esau. Esau is not very happy with him. It's been roughly 20 years since the last time he saw his brother because he did his brother dirty. He stole his brother's birthright. Some things went down, and Jacob kind of ran for his life. And so, so Jacob, several chapters uh, beforehand, we see his, his brother being kind of crossed by Jacob. And I can imagine Jacob's wondering, uh, how is Esau going to respond when he sees me? Is he going to be angry? Is he going to be upset? Is he going to want revenge? And in, in Genesis chapter 28, if I could take you back a few chapters, Jacob shows up. And, 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 and interested enough, he's, he's trying to get away from Esau. So he's running for his life. And, and as he's running for his life, God shows up and meets him unexpectedly. And now here is Genesis chapter 32, just Four chapters later, here he is again, Jacob. Now he's thinking of how to prepare in order to meet Esau, and God shows up again unexpectedly. Isn't that God how it works oftentimes? He shows up at the moments you're not even looking. He shows up at the moments you're not even expecting. He shows up in the moments that you least expected. He shows up in those moments where you really need it the most, and you wasn't necessarily trying to find him, and yet he shows up and brings clarity in your own life. This is what he's about to do. In Jacob's life. Jacob is going through this identity crisis. He has this struggle going on. He's about to see his Esau, his brother Esau, and he kind of works through it. I call these the stages of an identity crisis. And we first see Jacob, write it down in your notes. We see Jacob, he finds himself in this place of isolation. Because verse 22 says, that night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so read verse 24 with me. Come on, nice and loud. So Jacob was left, come on, say it, alone. Come on, say it with me again one more time. Verse 24. So Jacob was left alone. The place of isolation. I can imagine Jacob finding himself in this moment absolutely or feeling absolutely helpless. His brother Esau, who he knows he did dirty, is probably pretty angry with him. So he's in the face of an enemy that he cannot retreat, he cannot escape. Matter of fact, verse 7 says that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. To the point, the Bible tells us that he takes all of his possessions. He takes his wives, he takes his kids, he takes the sheep, he takes the cattle, he takes his servants, he takes all of them, and he divides them in two camps. And he says, one of you is going to go this way, the other one is going to go this way. And so when Esau sees us, he's probably going to attack one of you. And if he does, good luck, because he's got 400 men with him. But the other half that he doesn't escape, 
This is his thinking. At least I'll make it through all of this with half of what I've got. And don't sometimes we think that way in life. If I can just get through this stage of life and just have something left over. If I can just get through this thought process and still have a little bit of my mind. If I can just get through this hurt and and have a little bit of stability. If I could just get through this divorce and, and still have something left. If I could just get through this season of my kids and have something left. That was his that was his thought process. Here he is. He finds himself alone. He's isolated. I forgot to tell you what his name means. Jacob, when you study his name, it means literally a trickster and a deceiver. It means a manipulator. It means someone who is willing to do whatever they need to do in order to better off themselves. You go read it. This is not just happening here in Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 27, him and his twin brother, Esau, they come up on the scene. And the Bible says that Esau is born. And when Esau comes out the womb, there is Jacob. And what is Jacob doing? The trickster, the manipulator, always trying to get ahead. The Bible says he's hanging on to the heel of his brother. A few verses later in Genesis chapter 27, Jacob, he's in the kitchen. Jacob, the Bible says that Esau was like a manly man. He was the hunter. He was the one that went out. He had hair all over his body, right? He was a manly man. Jacob was a mama's boy. He hung out in the kitchen. Right, helped around the house, like nothing wrong with that, but that's kind of what Jacob's mentality was. He was always around the house, and so, so, so he's cooking one day, and, and Esau comes in from the field, and he's hunting, and he goes, man, listen, I'm just starving. You mind hitting me up with some of them biscuits and gravy? And he's like, listen, I can give you some of these biscuits and gravy, but uh, you're going to have to give me your birthright. And he goes, listen, Jacob, like that's pretty dirty of you. Like it's my birthright, and I'm starving, and if you don't give me some food, like I'm going to be famished. He goes, listen, birthright or no biscuits and gravy. And so he tricks his brother. He manipulates his brother into giving him some food for his birthright. Second instance of manipulation. Then in Genesis chapter 29, we we read about Jacob. He falls in love, but on his wedding night, he actually ends up on the wrong side of the trick. In Genesis chapter 30, he manages to get the flock and all of the things that he has in a deceiving way in order to grow his wealth. In Genesis chapter 31, he's done people so bad that again, now he's running from his life. His father-in-law, Laban, he has manipulated him in a way that he's having to flee again from him. And in Genesis chapter 32, here he is again. He's about to face his brother Esau, and he was afraid. He's isolated. He's alone, the Bible says. And really, when you look at it in our own lives, we can find ourselves doing the same thing. Oftentimes, though it's in a negative connotation, we isolate ourselves. We pull away from anyone who can speak life into it. Oh, Pastor Matt, you don't get it. I'm going through a lot of things right now, and my life is chaotic. And you know what? So I'm just going to take a break for church. I'm just not going to be here for a while. You're not going to see me. I'm thinking of you, but I'm not going to show up for a while. Really? I mean, I know I'm in a small group, and I got people around me, and they're praying for me, and, and they know what's going on in my life. But, man, this, this deal now is such a big deal. I'm just ashamed and I'm embarrassed by it. And you know what? I'm just going to quit going to small groups. And we begin to isolate ourselves. We begin to pull away from everything that speaks life. And, and oftentimes we find ourselves and we wonder why our identity crisis is stronger. We wonder why our identity crisis is more and more. It's because simply we're pulling away from the very people in our life that wants to speak life. We pull away from the word of God, the one, that wants to, the one who wants to bring clarity and the one who wants to speak over our purpose. We begin to retreat. And pull back and isolate ourselves. Or oftentimes, if we don't do it because of that, this is me. I'm going to talk about myself. Oftentimes, we, we pull away 
and, and we, we fight being alone because when we're alone, we're alone and we have to reflect. One or two things, we pull away because we don't want to talk or we, pull, or, or we fight being alone. This is where Jacob, Jacob said, the Bible says that Jacob's alone and really he's left alone with himself and his thoughts and his path. Again, I can just imagine the Rolodex going through his mind. I, I've told you before, I don't, like, I don't like quiet. I sleep with my TV on. I sleep with the earbuds. If the TV's not on, earbuds are on, and there's a podcast going. And I know, don't talk to me. I know it's bad for my health, right, all of that stuff. I know, but, but quiet sometimes just, it bothers me being quiet. Why? Because I know I get alone with my thoughts, right? My mind starts running. Things start, I start thinking about things, right? Sometimes good, sometimes negative. And so one or two things, we pull away from, our, we pull away from those around us and we isolate ourselves or, or we fight being alone because we don't want to reflect. But understand, hear me this morning, though, isolation when used properly. This is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. This is what God does in Jacob's life. Isolation when used properly in my life, it doesn't have to bring confusion. Again, some of us fight being alone because our thoughts start to happen and we begin to go and we begin to worry and we begin to get confused about other things in our life, confused about our future, confused about our identity. But isolation, it doesn't have to bring confusion. Isolation doesn't have to bring chaos. Isolation doesn't have to bring more and more concerns. Watch, when I allow the Holy Spirit to move in my life, when I allow God, when I open myself up to his identity and his purpose in my life, being alone and isolation, you know what it can do? can bring clarity in my life. All right, God, who do you say that I am? We just sung about it. God, what do you say about my circumstances? God, what do you say about this situation? What do you say about how I should handle this person that has done me wrong? What, what is it, God? What is my identity and what is my purpose that you say I am? So Jacob, he finds himself in this place of isolation and then watch, then he moves on again. Now he's at this place of desperation. Verse 24 says, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. Now watch Jacob's reply. Listen to how desperate he is. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you give me something from this moment. And I look at Jacob, right? He's he, he's a he's a he's a uh, he's someone who manipulates those. He's a he, he's someone who twists situations and circumstances around. And I do at least have to commend Jacob's hunger for God in this moment, because he's saying, "I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you give me what I need." The fact of the matter is, he's been wrestling with this person, and and now he's crippled, and now his body is marked, and yet. But here is Jacob now learning to obtain. Otherwise, and listen, what I've done up to this point in my own efforts has still left me empty. Because what did he steal from Esau? His blessing. So he's already been blessed once by his father. And yet, watch this. Jacob still feels empty. He's now gained all of these possessions. He has wives. He has servants. He has cattle. He has sheep. He's a very wealthy man to the point he has to divide them up in two camps. He has acquired all of these things by manipulation in his own life, and yet he still feels empty. He finds himself in this moment of desperation. My question for you this morning, though, is listen, hear me this morning. What is it that we are holding on to? What is it in our desperation are you grabbing onto to get your 
identity. Pastor Matt, I've tried everything. Pastor Matt, I'm grabbing on to my job because my job is where I find fulfillment, and yet I find myself still empty. I'm grabbing on to my kids and, and their involvement and what they do, and I'm running and I'm going and we're doing it, and yet I still feel like I'm lacking. I'm grabbing on to just doing and checking off the box and doing all the right, and yet I still feel empty. Here is Jacob. He has done everything he can in his own power. He has done everything he can. He's robbed his brother of his blessing. He has now acquired wealth. He's acquired possessions, and yet what does he ask for from this person? He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. There's something still inside of me that is missing. And you and I, oh, it's quiet in this morning because I'm in your living room. I can feel it. It's, it's we can fight so hard and we wear ourselves out trying to do and trying to go and trying to acquire. Oh, we're lonely. We're isolated. I'm, I'm doing the best I can, and yet I'm still desperate. I said there's something that I still need. In my life, there's something that it's not just going now from relationship to relationship, from job to job, just filling my calendar with events. I've tried all of that, and yet I find myself still hungry. Jacob, he started out running and hiding, and yet here he is again, running and hiding. A place of desperation moves him on. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our life, though. We get desperate. We come to God. All right, God, listen, I'm, I'm tired. I've tried, it, I've tried it my way. I've tried it the world's way. I've done everything. My identity is still, just, I, it's just blurry. What is it that, that I need? God, I'm just desperate for you to do something. And then it takes him to a place of a mission. And so the Bible says that Jacob replies, he says, now watch the desperation. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. You have what I need. I've tried it every other way. Now here I am alone. I'm isolated. I, I need you to bless me. And verse 27, then the man asked him, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob. Why did the man, now we know when we study history and theology, it doesn't say it in our text, but many theologians would agree as you study the text that he's actually wrestling with the Son of God, Jesus. The angel of the Lord. That Jesus himself has showed up and this is the wrestling match that is occurring. Now, of course, Jesus, we know. In the beginning was the word, words with God, word was God. We know that Jesus knows what his name is. But So why does he ask him, what is your name? Why does he ask Jacob that he knows his name is Jacob? Why does he make Jacob declare out loud, my name is Jacob? And I think it's this place of admission that the Holy Spirit wants to get us to. Write this down in your notes. It's not there, but I want you to jot it down. It's because we have to understand this, that self-sufficiency is incompatible with the work of God in my life. Let me say that again. That self-sufficiency, meaning I can do it on my own, that is incompatible when it comes to the work of God in our life. And oh, I know that's so counterculture. I know that goes against everything in our human nature. Because we say, if I want it, I got to go get it. If I want it, I got to go do it. If I want it, I got to make it happen. If I want it, it's going to be up to me. And listen, I agree there are some things, there are some moments in our life where you just got to grind and you got to put your hand to the plow. There are things that we have to do. But ultimately, it comes down to total and surrender of our life to Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted Jacob to admit his name of who he was. He wanted, I can just imagine when Jacob said it out loud, oh, I'm a trickster. I'm a deceiver. 
I'm a manipulator. See, the only reason, the only way that you and I can get anywhere with God, hear me this morning, hear me North Judson, hear me full throttle, the only way that you and I can get anywhere with God is by yielding and surrendering and being honest with him. Because listen, guess what? He knows it anyways. And a lot of times he's making us declare it not for a revelation for him, but for a revelation for ourselves. To remind us, listen, you've done everything that you can do to get you up to this point, and yet you still find yourself lacking. You still find yourself wanting. So clearly something needs to be done different. It was this confession that Jacob had to make of unworthiness. What is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. Jacob was not only who uh, was not only his name, it's not only who he was, but it was how he acted. A a trickster, a manipulator, one who uh, was able to gain things in his own life, a heel grabber. And listen, hear me this morning, change for you and I only come. What is your name? You come in this place this morning and you're experiencing things in life and you've named your circumstances, you've named your situation one thing. Listen, change only comes after you and I admit to God, this is where I'm at, God. God, this is where I'm at. There's, there's unforgiveness in my life because this person did me wrong and I feel like it was wrong. God, this is where I'm at in my life. I have this addiction on me that... It comes from my family history, and yet I'm still trying to battle it in my own, and I've tried every club, I've tried every help, I've done everything I could do. But God, I find myself still battling this addiction. God, this is what it is. God, this is, this is the sin in my life. God, this is the thought process. Change only comes after we admit where we are. And admission is not popular. Oh, we hate to admit, right? Anybody other than me hate to admit when you're wrong. I hate saying, hey, I was wrong. So we try to shorten it. Hey, sorry. Sorry for what? No, sorry. My bad. Right, well, I'll use that one. So my bad. That's, that's on me. My bad. No, no, no. I'm sorry for hurting your feelings because I said this. I'm sorry for taking advantage of you in this situation. Admission. Listen, hear me this morning. Admission is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It's us being willing. Hear me. It's us being willing, willing to properly access and acknowledge, God, this is where I'm at right now. This is what I'm going through. Well, that's, that's, that's why, listen, that's why I want, I want so much to help you get in small groups and get people around you and get on a serving team to get people in your corner. Because, listen, I know it's hard and I know it's different. Nobody likes to naturally admit what they're going through. But there's power in admission when you get people around you. There's power in admission when you go to God and say, God, this is where I'm at. People are able to come around you and, and help you get through that. It's this place of admission that Jacob finds himself at. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just keep him there. He takes him to this place of association. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, watch, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. You used to associate with this name. Watch what he's about to do. I'm about to give you a new identity. You used to associate with this past. You used to associate with this pain. Jacob used to associate with trickster, manipulator. Someone who did whatever they had to do in order to get what they wanted. He says, your name will now longer, no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. Your name is no more Jacob. Your name is no, not only Jacob. And watch, before, before the Lord brought him to what had been his, his, his new name, 
God had to show him what his old neighbor was, Jacob, the cunning, the self-helpful, the supplanter, the, the, the trickster. He, he, and now he gives him this new name. It's a characteristic that really when you study out Israel, Israel means a prince with God. That's the name, Israel. And it's a characteristic that, that really comes out of his new experience. It's the before Jacob. It's the after Israel. This new experience that he has in his life. It's this new character trait that would have power with God and with men. It would prevail against all enemies. And this is what Jesus says. This is what God says to Jacob. This is what he's one He says, listen, your, your old name was Jacob. It meant, it meant uh, deceiver. It meant someone who manipulated. It meant someone who just twisted the truth. That was your old name. That's not, just not who they called you. That's exactly who you were. That's what you did. I'm going to give you a new name. Your new name is Israel, Prince of God. And watch, this is what he said. He says, I'm not just going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you a whole new nature. I'm not, I'm not just, this is what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He comes to us, and this is what Jesus did on the cross. Paul says that when we come to Christ, the old things are gone. And what happens? The new things come. So my old way of living disappears. My old way of thinking disappears. My old way of forgiving disappears. Hear me this morning. Jesus Christ did not die on, our, on the cross for our sins. He did not die for you and I for sin management. I just got to be better. I just got to do it again. I, I just got to, you know, on Monday, I, I'm going to do my best. On Tuesday, I messed up. I'm, no, listen, Jesus did not die for sin management. Jesus come. He gave his life so you and I can be broke free from that sin, so we can be broke free from our past, so we can be broke free from that way of thinking, so we can be broke free of that way of thinking. The old has gone. The new has come. He says, I didn't just come to give you a new name. I come to give you a, do, a new nature. I come to help you think different. I come to help you live different. I come to help you be a different dad, a different mom, a different husband, a different wife. When you walk down those hallways as a student, you're different. Your life is different. Not, not better. Your life is different. That's what he's saying to us today. Hear me this morning. When he comes, what is your name? He says, I've come to, to make you different. I can take you to the apostle Paul that, that he was Saul. And he gets an encounter with Christ. And Saul used to persecute Christians. He used to kill them. He used to put them in jail. But he has an encounter with Christ. And he says, no longer is your name Saul. Are you going to persecute? Your name is now Paul. You're going to preach. You're going to plant churches. You're going to write letters. You're going to spread the gospel. You're not going to persecute the gospel. I can take you to Abram. Before his name was Abraham, he was childless. He was hopeless. There was no future for him. But he said, I'm going to make your descendants many. Your name is now Abraham because the favor of God is on your life. What am I trying to tell you this morning? Is Jesus Christ come to give you, uh, you and I a new association. Jesus Christ come to set you and I free of our past. Jesus Christ come to set you and I free of our pain. Uh, to set us free of our circumstances, of our situations that we don't have to be bound by what the enemy says. We don't have to be bound by what culture says. We don't have to be bound by our own thinking, but God come to set us free. He says, I've come to associate you with something else different. Our culture associates this name change out of spite. Come on, we know it. We see it. Right with the, with the movement going on in the transgender community, the LGBTQ, AI plus community, this name change that is happening that oftentimes you'll see people, well, I want you to call me this now. It's out of spite. It's really out of pain. It's out of confusion. I have a gentleman in, in my own life. I could, I could take you to where he works today because I know him very well. Graduated from our youth ministry. Went to our youth ministry all through high school. Struggled with his identity all through high school. Now he chooses a different name to be called by. Not the name that 
was given to him at birth, not the name, not the identity that God puts in him, but he's bought into that lie of the world. It breaks my heart. The world says you change your name out of spite, change your name out of pain, change your name because you want a new identity. God says, no, I'm going to give you a name change for a new purpose, for clarity. He says, I'm going to trade your wailing into dancing in Psalms 30. He says, I'm able to take your sorrow and turn it into joy. I'm able to take your storms and turn it into peace. I'm able to take that doctor's report that looks negative and turn it into a miracle of healing. I'm able to take those moments of hurt and agony and turn it to a testimony of power and strength. I'm able to take those moments that you didn't look like, you didn't think you was going to make it out, but turn it into moments of triumph and victory. I'm able to take what it is before I showed up and turn it into something totally different after I show up. See, what is it in, this, in your life this morning? Come on, Lindsay. What is it in your own life? Before you walked in, you named it something else, and God says, I want to name it something else before you leave. He says, I want to show up in your life and not just give you a new name, a new nature. I want you to forgive different. I want you to live different. I want you to walk different. He takes him to this place of association, but the story just doesn't end there, and this is how God works. It's the place of resolution. God takes us all the way. He said, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Again, we know history, theology tells us he's wrestling with Jesus. He says, why do you ask me my name? Then he, then he the Bible says, then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. He shows up isolated, terrified, trying to manipulate how does he get out of this situation. I'm going to take everything I have. I'm going to divide up in two camps. One of you go that way. One of you go that way. We go, we, we, I'm going to slip out the back door. I'll meet you up on the other side. Trying to manipulate. The angel of the Lord, Jesus, shows up. He wrestles, touches his socket. He limps. Now, I can just imagine every time he took a step and he limped now for the rest of his life, Ernie, every time he thought of that night, where his name changed. Every time he thought of that, every time he took a step and he limped and he thought of, man, that night that I encountered, I encountered God. He, Jacob shows up and he requests a blessing. Again, I find it so comical. He had already received a blessing. He stole it from his brother Esau and yet he's still hungry for one. Jacob now is about to see Esau in Genesis chapter 33. Watch what happens. In Genesis chapter 32, go read it this week. Jacob shows up and he tells his people, all right, you slip out to the right, you slip out to the left. Y'all both go out. I'm going to slip out the back. See you on the flip side. I'll meet you over here. That's his escape plan. I'm going to manipulate this situation and do everything I can. But in Genesis chapter 33, after his name change, now his name is Israel. Genesis chapter 33, go read verse 1 through 20 this week. It says Jacob is about to meet up with Esau again. And, and the Bible says in verse 2 that he lines his family up. And I don't know if it was like a reason. I don't know, I often think like was he lining them up from his favorite to his least favorite. I don't know how he lined them up. But he lines them up. Some people say it was in order, pecking order. But he lines his whole family up. And I can imagine too, maybe they don't realize the encounter he's had. I can imagine Probably his wife's like, uh-huh, here goes Jacob, going to send us out first. I knew it. He's a coward. Going to send me out first. 
Bible says he lines everyone up in, in Genesis chapter 33 after he wrestles with the Lord. He lines them up in Genesis chapter 33. And before he sends his entourage out, watch what he does. Jacob goes out first. says, let me go handle this. Now, now it's so crazy when we read that, we don't think much of it. But you got to go back to Genesis chapter 32. He divided everybody up. He said, we got to figure out a way to get out of this. I got to save my own rear here. You go that way, you go that way. At least we'll get out of this thing with half. And now in Genesis chapter 33, he's got a new name. His name is Israel. He lines everyone up. He says, no, y'all stay here. I'm going to go first. And I'm going to encounter my brother. Now, we know the story, right? We know the embrace is beautiful. Esau's not angry. They, they hug, they weep, they cry. Some beautiful things happen right? We know how the story ends. But watch, this is what happened. This is what I love about the story of Jacob. He shows up and he prays for deliverance. And God says, no, 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 I'm not just going to give you deliverance. I'm about to change your destiny. He shows up and we think he just gets a new name. And he doesn't just get a new name, he gets a new nature. His whole thinking changes, his whole processing changes. And what I love about their encounter, after their encounter, if you go read this week, it's a beautiful story. He continues to go on, and he goes to another city, and he builds this altar where he worships God, and he, and he places the name on the altar. And the name he gives the altar, it is simply this, God, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob. Which is a beautiful thing when you go back to Genesis chapter 28, when God shows up, he says, I am the Lord of your father Abraham. I am the, the God of your father Isaac. And now... When we read the Old Testament, we read what? The God, of, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So now he has experienced God. Watch, the presence of God has now reached the third generation. So in Genesis chapter 32, this place of resolution, it was more than just making it right with his brother. Jacob, yes, he gets reconciled with his brother in Genesis chapter 33. But most importantly, in Genesis 32, Jacob gets reconciled with God. It's this place of resolution. It's this place of deliverance that he thought he was just coming here for a miracle for him to just make it out alive. But God says, I'm going to give you something better than just making it out alive. I'm about to brighten your future in a whole new way. So not only are you going to make it out here, you're going to make it out and it's going to be different from this on, from this point on. The emphasis oftentimes we look at, even in Genesis chapter 32 in our Bible, you read Jacob wrestles with God. That's the caption. That's the title on this section of Bible. But the, the point is not necessarily the wrestling. The biggest win in this story is the name change that happens. The biggest win is, the, is what happens in Jacob's life because after that night, never again did Jacob try to get what he needed by his own carnal things. Never again after that night did Jacob try to manipulate and, and swander people in order to gain what he had. After that night, there was this place of resolution. His identity had changed after that night. His whole nature had changed after that night. His whole future had changed. And isn't this what Jesus did on the cross for us? He brought a resolve into our life. He brought this resolution that we were separated because of sin. We were separated. We didn't know how to get to God. We didn't know what it was. The Bible says that on our best days, our righteousness are just filthy rags. So what do we do? We do our best to check the box. We do our best to make ourselves feel better. We do our best and we're grabbing and we're holding and we're fighting for things in life only to feed us empty again. But God says, listen, I got the answer and his name is Jesus. And so Jesus comes to this earth. He dies on the cross for our sins. He dies on the cross for you and I so we can have revelation. He dies on the cross so you and I can have
didn't have a new identity. And now we're not known as sinners. We're known as his sons. And we're known as his daughters. We're known as his prince and his kings and his queens. We're known as his heirs, right? We have everything accessible to our Father because of what Jesus did. This moment of resolution in our life. It was the greatest place of resolution. It was the cross. I want you to stand with me. I got to quit this morning. See, watch. Hear me this morning. It's the before and after. It's before I know Jesus. And it's after I know Jesus. The world, the world says it like this. The world says you are. This is how they measure your identity. The world says you are by what you have. So what we do. We work hard to get what we have. And we get stuff. We fill our houses with stuff. We fill our houses with so much stuff, we got to get storage units to get more stuff in, right? Just because i got to have stuff. i got to have the cars. i got to have the boats. i got to have all, And there's nothing wrong. I enjoy stuff too. But the world says you are by what you have. And so we wear ourselves out trying to get more stuff in life. And then religion comes along, though, and says, well, you are by what you do. And that's just as bad. You're like, what are you trying to say? I thought we was in a religious place this morning. I was telling somebody this week was having a conversation about faith and about Christ, and they're not a believer. And they said, I'm not a religious person. I said, yeah, you know what? I'm not a religious person either. And they're like, what? You're a preacher. How are you not a religious person? I was like, I'll be honest. I actually, I hate religion. They're like, what? You're really confusing me right now. What kind of church do you preach at? I said, I hate religion. Because it's what the world says you are about but what you have. Religion says this, you are about what you do. And so religion will wear us out because we got to check the box. We got to do all the right stuff, right? We got we to say the right things. I got to be the right person. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to go to church. I can't be late. I mean, some people show up late, but I'm going to show up on time before worship starts. I got to do everything. Then I got to get in a small group. Then I got to get on a serving team. All of this stuff is great. I got to read the Bible seven days a week for two hours a day. We got to do all of this stuff, right? And we wear ourselves doing and just doing and doing and doing. And that's good things to do. But watch this. God's word says, this is what his word says. This is what I kind of remind you this morning. What is your name? What is your identity? Your identity is not by what you have. Your identity is not by what you do. Your identity is simply because of who he says you are. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.